and welcome to your review for the 10th of January, the first one of the year. Happy New Year, review listeners, and Happy New Year, Christian Wolf. How are you, Christian? Happy New Year, yeah, Graham. I'm I'm good now. As you know, we had a a pre-pod panic there where I put my Word document into read mode and I couldn't get out of it. Like the boom I am. But it's okay. I'm I'm good now. I feel it's, relaxed. It's like you're a man in your forties that's actually a man in your sixties. Yes. That's not a bad description of myself. Mm-hmm. By the way. Um I, I still got my hair though. Yeah, it's, it's, it's it's beautiful, beautiful hair. Thanks. Yeah, beautiful hair. I, I'm clinging on to that. So but other than that, yeah, no, full steam down into uh Boomerdom. Um but you know, happy new year, Graham. I've I've had a had a how was your holiday? Because we had quite different Holiday destinations. It was like uh, I, I, initially. I, yeah. I, Graham McKay, your host, as I, I forgot to introduce myself. Um, I came to the country and you fled the country almost yes. as if it was a coincidence. Um, That's what always happens though when you come over. Yeah, you just leave. I, I, I do ignore my attempts at meeting you or I just leave the country. So Scotland can only handle one of us at a time. Apparently, yes. Yeah. And as you can see, this is a, a visual thing for the listeners. New calendar. Oh, is it is it, um Joe Ederson Hart? As as Joseph, and the small one is Benji Benji Seagrass. So we've got two goalkeepers Oof. for the price of one. Wow, Celtic really kicking off the air with a lot of originality there. So. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I've looked forward to to mine, and it is uh, Big Gigi. I think he he represents me well, so. Gay League's top scorer next season, I heard. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, do, do, do you want to start with the kind of uh, the transfer stories before we get into the? I mean, the producer of... is already in in the chat saying, "Hurry the fuck up!" Yeah, she hasn't actually put that, but that's what she means. So, I think it's because we told her that you've got thirty-seven pages of notes. Uh, yeah, I do, and that's uh, that's probably going to be an issue. Um, well, I mean. We are. There, there seems to be quite a bit of surprise about the teams being, uh, you know, linked as being after uh, Jakimakis and I guess Juranovic, Monza. So let's start off with Monza. Does Monza, Monza surprise you? Of course, we spoke uh, in the last one about how perhaps Celtic fans and myself included were maybe overrating what we could expect to get for Juranovic, given the, the precedent when it came to right backs of his kind of vintage. Uh, and especially coming from Scotland. So I think that the money being seven million is not so surprising as uh, the profile of the club. Um, I was kind of of the feeling that I would be happy to let him go if he was going to be going to like a kind of once in a lifetime type club, one that can maybe his aspirations will be met. Uh, Monza, though, <laughs> what, what do you make of that? Yeah. yeah I- I guess it is the realization of when the offers have actually, or the reported offers have actually come in for your marriage and Gigi, they are a lot lower than I guess Celtic fans were hoping for. But I think it's just a natural consequence of one, their, their age, first of all. And two, that, you know, they are playing in the Scottish League. There is still that, you know, maybe not a tax on it, I, I guess. And, and also that, you know, they are very, uh, a right back is probably in terms of all the positions in the football field, it might be the least valuable one, uh, in terms of transfer fees. And Gigi is also like a very certain type of striker. So you, you could have 
struck it lucky with with I draw them, and you can have the right time, right club at the right time, and you can get a lot more money for them. But overall, I think you know high, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten millions for Vjoranovic, and you know around the five million mark for Gigi is probably realistic. And obviously, good business in terms of their age and everything we talked about. Yeah, but Monza is. A little bit of an old one. Okay, the, it is one in one of the top four leagues, I guess. Um, it's a you know a, a league where yeah you can be picked up then by an even bigger club. There's you know there's Bellasconi money uh, behind Monza as well. So I, I guess he would you would assume he would see that as a way of getting into a top four league and, and then playing in that league. So. Would they get some more money? Yeah, probably will because I don't think he's on a huge race as a Celtic. But yeah, it, I guess we're both kind of thinking, oh, this is going to be his last move. So he, he wants to pick the club maybe a bit more carefully than, than just the league. But to me, unless they've sold him really well and you know what Munson's trying to do and so on, it seemed like they the nine points off relegation in Serie A, so they're pretty much safe. Maybe it's a project he sees himself of, you know, maybe pushing for you know Europa League places and so on. But it seems to me like, you know, it's a, a league that he's moving to rather than a specific club. So do you think? I mean, I think we always hear when it comes to players leaving Celtic, uh, Celtic fans get a bit disrespected if they don't deem the club as big enough to be taking the player. Like Brentford, for example, when they came in for Ayer, uh, I think a lot of Celtic fans were a bit snobbish about that. Do you think it's going to be? I think the the relationship with Celtic fans and Juranovic has suffered quite a bit anyway, so I'm not sure it'll be the same thing. But do you think there's going to be some kind of like opinion from the Celtic support that it's maybe a bit of a a step down, despite the fact it's a top four league? I mean, he's not going to be in Europe for the foreseeable. He is. I mean, I know you. You can maybe think about the fact that he he could be seen by Milan or Inter or whatever, and bought within a season. But is is it? Do you find it quite surprising that he is maybe for, forsaken like guaranteed Champions League football next season? He's on a he's on a he's on a long term deal, and going to a club that are not in a relegation battle at the moment, but could be by the end of the season and could possibly be next season as well. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things going on there because I think you, in a way, it's kind of realising where Celtic sits in the football world. I don't think that means from the player side either that this isn't a huge club because it is. That it doesn't, that all the sides we love about it, that, that we kind of promote about it, that we hold up as being one of the biggest clubs in, in the world, they're still there and they're real. And, and I think the players do generally, you know, love that, appreciate that because it's not everywhere you play for 60,000, you know, mad fans and you have those big nights as well. It is to come back to the fight, fa- fact that it's the league. You know, it's, it's if you have a chance to go to, especially I think Spain, Italy, or especially uh, extra, especially uh, England, it's just such a huge thing for footballers. And this is probably your other's last chance to go one of those leagues. And I think he'd be happy to go there and play. Yeah, and he, he might want to 
you know, play against, you know, maybe get picked up by a bigger club. But even being in that league and playing against some of those huge clubs and, and being in that essentially one of the top leagues in the world, I think it's probably a bigger selling point than, than we think. Yeah, it can be matched by wages and so on. It's, I mean, it's the same with Brentford. You know, it is Premier League is, I think, for, for vast majority of players, wherever they are in the world, unless they go into a huge Spanish club, a huge Italian club, the Premier League is where you want to be, you know, because it is the biggest league in the world. And that's, you are up against most of the best players in the world. So whatever self they do that, they just don't have that. You know, they have a Champions League games. That is an attraction. They have the stadium, the history, the fans, all of that are attractions. That one makes Celtic capable of buying in good players, but also attracting them. All those things are real, but just come back from the fact that it's the Scottish League. And if you can go to the Italian, Spanish or English League, especially, probably gone up. Yeah. Well, incomings, uh, they spoke about it on the agenda a little bit. I don't know, have you had a chance to look at Iwata? I have not, but I will tell you there is a transfer committee next week as well. So there's, there's, there's things up for, I will be honest with you, Graham, all I've done over Christmas, I don't know the things over Christmas, I'll be honest. But as you said, I have 37 pages of notes on the Derby and Kilmarnock. So I'm sorry, I'm just going to talk tactics and some stats. There so, but I'm excited about Iwata because I, 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 here's on my list of watching. I saw Kieran Jerry not Kieran on the agenda today. I, Watched him a little bit, and he's excited. Kieran's excited. I'm excited. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching him. Looking forward to see a bit of Kobayashi. We'll get to, to why I'm excited about that. But, yeah, I don't know. Um, the pings. I want the pings. If, if we don't talk about him properly on the transfer committee next week, we can maybe have a look at him for the, the review next week as well. Because review. I, I, I the review, I, I will be going to the semifinal. So, <laughs> How much tactical input I'm going to have on that game? I don't know. Most so. of the time, you're at air games, and then when it gets to the fancy ties, you rock back I, up to Celtic. Look, somehow I managed to get a ticket for the big games, and I don't put in the hard yards for you know. Well, to tell you what, I, I did go to Motherwell at home this season, so I think I think I've done some a few high hard yards. So. What one thing I did notice about Iwata from today's press stuff, I think he was getting interviewed by Celtic TV, and he he was asked about what his main Kind of uh, attribute was, and it was. I think he said winning the ball back. W- what do you think? We've not really seen that under. Well, and we obviously we've got the press, but we've not seen a kind of uh, midfielder that's main role was ball winning midfielder. How do you think that's going to change the setup of that midfield? We literally haven't seen that because he's been on the bench. Uh, it's this big tall Danish guy. Um, I got two. Yeah, I got two words for you about that. Tony Watt, get the ball of that guy and you can get the ball out of anywhere. It is an interesting one because it's this elusive number six that can pass and tackle that we've, everybody we've been saying is the missing piece and it's, it's, it has different names. Started out being called James McCarthy. Then even before that, it was Soro and first it went into the Gucci. And then uh, the whole transfer saga with our uh, friend um, Vinicius. Uh, so, so, I forgot his name. So it was Silva, wasn't it? No. Sosa. Sosa. Bloody hell. That was a long time ago. And and, and Abigail for us. So maybe here it is. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know because 
it gives you the option to put McGregor further forward. It gives you an option of playing a little bit more, I guess, McGregor plus one. But if you're happy about that, hey, McGregor in my, you know, favorite midfielder, uh, Rio Hattati, they're all three midfielders who are slightly deeper. You know, you have O'Reilly's, Turnbull and Moya all, I kind of, it's not that they're not part of the build-up, but they're more, a bit more final third midfielders for me. And that's where they come kind of into the, the force, whereas Hatata McGregor and Ivata from Seher is more like a middle third kind of midfielder. So it'll be interesting if if it's those three, for example, what kind of, what that will give you. Maybe it's just, you know, ultra-pressing, ultra-industrious, fast, fast, fast. And it's, you know, it's kind of all out in that kind of, I guess, intensity of the midfield. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'd be interested to see how that kind of works out. Cal McGregor as well is he, nowhere near being finished. He's, he's still putting in really good performances. But he's not getting any younger as well. So I think it was Alan on the agenda kind of mentioned, you look, it's good that McGregor has a better competition. You know, he, he <laughs> you know, he's, he's probably the closest to undroppable, but it's good that somebody can step in and say, I can perform and do some of the same things as McGregor and, and actually just seamlessly put into that. If that means giving McGregor a rest, means it put him in the eight. Yeah, great. That's the flexibility, but you should have competition for every single position. And with this, you might have competition for Callum McGregor as well in, in the six. And as I said, you can be around that. But yeah, that's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. We're going to come on to it later. I'm going to. I'm going to blow your mind by making you talk about it before we get there in chronological order, but it, it fits just now. Um, teams have started to basically veto Callum McGregor. Um, they're, they're basically sacrificing one of their players to take McGregor out of the game. Does this mean, and this is obviously, obviously a very simplistic thing, if we are replacing McGregor in that role with Iwata, does that not just like completely bolster the rest of the midfield because we've taken our best player away from being vetoed into a further forward position and overall we, we have a, a more solid midfield. I mean, obviously that's a more simplistic way of looking at it, but it's like it's like taking away your best player from being sacrificed and putting them into a player that can hurt the other opposition. You're hiding your best player. You're confusing the opponent by not even playing him. Is that what I said? Um, all the time you spoke to, I had to scroll down to page 24 out of 27 because that's where I had my, my Gregor man marking notes. <laughs> so, um, so, so, yeah, what, what we've seen, uh, we go back to it, obviously, is that I think we had, was it, I think it was Tommy, Tommy from Air sent in a question to the reaction. Um, it's good to know it's a fellow person in here going around listening to me. Which is hello, Tommy. If you see me out in the street, say hello if, if you want. Um, don't make eye contact. But. Don't. <laughs> um, so, so I think the last two games, one of the tactical points is that obviously that Ryan Kent was on McGregor and Robinson for, for, for Kelly was on McGregor as well the whole time. And I, I think that for both of those teams, that makes it makes sense in, in different ways. We can get back to that. But what what it does if uh, I think being McGregor or Ivata, if you can't progress, you can't use Cal McGregor as much as you want in the build up. But the way Celtic plays, it does put a lot more emphasis on centre backs, 
and the fullbacks to bring that ball up. And I think over the last two games, or at least the first one and a half of them, and then uh, the last half against Caleb was, was a bit better. You saw the you saw the issues that can bring if your fullback pairing is not quite up to speed. So tactically, it, it, it makes a lot of sense for the position, both because it kind of nullifies, not nullifies, but you put someone like McGregor, he has less time. But what you also do, you put another person in the middle of the pitch, right? So someone like Aberdeen played a two, three, five block, two forwards, three midfielders, five defenders. Front two didn't move much. So this is a much more clever system. It's like you have one striker and you can say, you can say okay, you can have two strikers and they work a lot and they move about. But if you just put one of them on McGregor, you'll have a quite simplified. You have another person in the middle of the pitch. That's a good thing. You kind of discipline the position of that forward player to stay in the middle because he's staying in McGregor and McGregor stays in the middle. So you give McGregor less time, but you also, for a defensive point of view, you put another person in the middle of the pitch all the time. And that is a good thing after so we come out from the position point of view. And then also you put to them an emphasis on other Celtic players to, to start building up the center backs and the fullbacks. To be honest, that's not their forte, a lot of them. Especially not the ones who played the last couple of, of times and with your animation on the left back, it didn't quite work. And I think that was a big part of why those two games weren't that smooth. You know, kind of taking McGregor out, leaving an emphasis on other players around him. And it didn't work as well as we've seen so far this season. So, what is. We're kind of jumping ahead here again, but we'll come back to a chronological order at some point. What is the response to this? Because we're not going to be... We've got two other derbies this season, and you know Michael Beale's going to do the same thing. We may have we may have four. I mean, we could have two cup games against them. He's going to do the exact same thing. How did Celtic get around this? It felt, for a lot of that game, it felt as if... He'd already got the number of how to play against us. Obviously, he'd had a bit of experience before they left. And it was a it was a different kind of game because we were we were chasing it a little bit at that, that stage, but it did feel as if we were barely laying a glove on them from the twenty-fifth minute onwards. I I don't I don't know. I don't think the game is that bad. And I don't think Rangers is that drilled yet. So I think there was a lot of issues with with the like the Rangers set up and so on, and I think there's this periods even after the 25th minute where Celtic are creating things. Now I'm going to segue nicely into the chronological order of this. Uh, is that it is Celtic's worst game this season domestically in terms of like stats? You know, so the Rangers get 1.35 xG outside the penalty. Celtic goes 0.82. That's the lowest xG Celtics have this season. Second lowest was Rangers at home. It's the second highest XG against without penalties. Harsh away was actually more. And so only the second negative XG difference Celtic has had in the league this season. So yeah, it's if you look at territory stats like that as well, it's the lowest entries into the opposition's half, final third, and the penalty box this season. Um, and it's the highest entries conceded you know, in all those areas as well. So Rangers got into Celtics half, final third and penalty box more than any other team in the league this season. But that's not too was, surprising. That's not too surprising because this is the toughest game of the season, really. What was the XG beyond our goals? 
If that makes sense, like if you take away our two goals, the XG value of our two goals, what was left over? Do you know? Do you know that off by offhand? If if you can sing a song or something, well, I'll look that up. That, that that's something I could do. I'll read. Right. I'll read my calendar. It says Seagrass at the top left. And it says Hart <laughs> down the right. January. So, so, so the two goals are at zero point four five XG. So you have your other. Um, I mean, Instat only recorded another eight shots for Celtic. So your six other ones are about the same. You know, zero point forty. So, so yeah. is that not like? I mean, again, this might be quite simplistic. Over 90 minutes, if you take away the goals, we created 0.4 XG. Is that not really bad? Like, Is that not getting to the stage of me, as I said, not laying a glove on them? You are taking away the two big chances, though, to be fair. No, I mean, an XG of roughly one away to range. Would you want to create more? Yeah, like you do, ideally. Um, do you want to conceal a little bit less? 1.35 without the penalty. Yeah, yeah, probably. So it wasn't a great game, but I also sort of think uh, I didn't come away from that game thinking, uh oh, you know, Beale's got, you know, Celtic's number here. I was actually more afraid after the Ibrox game last year and the semi final and slightly the home game as well. I found Broncos had found a way of kind of nullifying and that would kind of like swept out to the water at the home game this season, but I think he just got that completely wrong in terms of how his settle was. And Celtic were good at countering as well. So I, I thought it was a messy game from Celtic, but also from Rangers. I wasn't really that impressed with him. That's, I mean, that's a good thing, I guess. Um, but like, so this is obviously something that's going to work until we do something about it, this, this man-marking of Callum McGregor. And we can say... It is about the centre-backs being better on the ball. It is about the full-backs uh, being better on the ball. But the reality of the situation is that we've got CCV and Starfield. We're not going to be replacing them with a the first-try centre-back this season. Could be actually may get minutes, but he's not going to be going in as a first-team. I can. I, I mean, that's my prediction anyway, not this season anyway. Juranovic is leaving. Alistair Johnson is, the, is going to be the new first-choice right-back. Um, I think he's got a heap of potential. He's, he's, an, he's an athlete. He's got some engine on him. Doesn't seem as confident with the ball. Or, I mean, that could be something that could be uh, trained into him. Doesn't seem as confident in the kind of tight spaces. And Greg Taylor's out injured at the moment. So with that, with that set, with that hand, if, if we're talking about like a, a poker game, how, how do we go about ensuring that? A simple thing like man marking McGregor is not going to take the wheels off of us in these big games. I think, as I say, I think the key, maybe the good way of looking at this is why did it work well in the first like 25 minutes? Because I think you start with kind of, okay, how did Rangers set up their block and what they essentially tried to do? Um, I actually, we talked about the good thing. Day before the game, uh, who's going to play? How they going to play? I actually guessed this correctly, which I'm, you know, I'm pleased about. Just want to put that on the pod. But they did to go with Morales and Saka, Saka, Sakala, uh, Sakala, even, <laughs> and as a front two in the press, you know, one each on each centre back, and then as you said, Ryan Kent was on Cal McGregor, and then behind that you had Rangers number eights, Kamara and Tillman. Nominally on Celtics number eight, 
O'Reilly and Hattati, and then Lundstrom was kind of the free one in the middle of that. So what Celtic did, um, and why, essentially why they wanted to do that, you know, Lundstrom, again, this range of statement Beal is all about compacting the middle of the pitch. This is what we talked about on the preview as well. So by having Lundstrom as a, kind of like a free man in that block, he doesn't have one player assigned to him. And not putting Kent and Sakala wide, you put Morelos and Sakala more in the middle and Kent bang in the middle of McGregor. You know, you crowd out the middle. You you make that space safer for you because you got more people. Because it's better to protect that space than that wide. But the key area and the weak point is in that even when McGregor couldn't be on the ball too much, or he didn't have much time on the ball because Kent was there. Because it essentially happened is if, for example, if um, CCB managed to get the ball out. If Sakala was a bit wide and Morales in the middle, Kent would jump out on CCB, for example, but he would make sure that the passing lane back to McGregor was, was blocked off. And his priority, there's a couple of times where he kind of moves to CCB, then he kind of has a look behind him for McGregor, and he's like, I need to stay close to McGregor. So they're compacting the center. But the weak point in that, and this is what kind of comes back to your, your point in terms of, okay, if we can't play through the middle, what do you do? Well, Celtic tried to exploit that by using that wide pass to Taylor early in the build-up. I sent you a couple of screenshots in terms of where Greg Taylor received his passes in the like the 21 minutes he played. And there's like a heap around almost at the center uh halfway line, sorry. Right pushed on the left hand side, really wide out. And you see where he made his passes into the opposition's half, you know, down the line, into the middle, and so on. So, I mean, so, he's basically receiving the ball just before the halfway line, and he's moving the ball on beyond the halfway line, so he's carrying it a little bit. And, and that was the smart thing to do, because the middle is crowded, so you can't invert it. But what you also do, if you play that ball out to Taylor, you pose a question of the Rangers defence, because the decision has to be, is Sakala close enough to jump out on you? Because if he stays, if Sakala stays wide, Starfield could potentially go into the middle and play a one-two McGregor. So he's staying on Starfield. If you play the ball out and it's Sakala who runs after him, obviously Taylor will have more time on the ball. Now Tillman might jump up on Taylor and press him more faster, more quickly. He doesn't have much time on the ball. But what happens then is he has to leave Hatati and Lundstrom has to come over. And it is, it's that kind of, that point where that has to happen, where Rangers have to take those decisions, where Celtic really exploit it. And they exploit that because Greg Taylor is a really effective passer, passer from the middle of the pitch. So he can, he can tread the ball inwards. He can, you know, you go out wide and you go behind Rangers midfield wide. Happen again and again. Also, though, sometimes it's when Tillman jumped out, Hatati got away from Lundstrom because he had two, three yards of them. Greg Taylor slipped in the ball as well. So again, they had that space. So you had those kind of nice overloads. What also happened in that period, Matt O'Reilly came over. So, you know, ball out wide to, to Taylor, but you didn't just have Hatati, didn't just have Mieda. O'Reilly would come over and he would kind of help create a free man. Happened again and again in those 20 minutes. So it let Celtic build out and it let them create, keep the ball build out create chances. So by using that wide, you know, the quickness of Greg Taylor's passing, but also the fact that 
if Sakala didn't, you know, Rangers, you moved Rangers to block and you made Tillman make a decision. Tillman isn't the best in the pressing. Sakala isn't the best in the pressing. You pose questions, right? So sometimes Taylor could find Hatate. Sometimes Tillman jumped out. Lundstrom wouldn't follow Hatate. Hatate could get on the ball. Sometimes he hit Maeda. Sometimes he had a love, Taylor hit a lovely ball, you know, behind the defensive line as well. So because Greg Taylor is a smart player, because he's he's got, he uses the ball simply, quickly, and he's confident in that role. That was effective. Just that little thing. So uh, that, I think that's essentially what you do. You need to bring in, if, if your centre-back's not going to pull it out, use the full-backs, but the full-backs have to be of a quality where they see the pass, they execute the pass. The number eight, close to him, Hatate, needs to be doing the runs, which Hatate does, where Riley came over and do that. So I think that left-hand side, Celtic prioritise that. And you see why, because they have those rotations built in, and even if Taylor goes inwards, for example, Hatate can go wide. But this time he stayed wide because there wasn't space and he was affected from there. So that you can take McGregor out. But again, you, you got someone like Greg Taylor on the left, Hatate on the left. You do those combinations and build up. So, so that's how it works. So I think that's how you do it, essentially. We can go back to the kill game and see how they set up as well. But especially against Rangers, it comes back to you have to keep the ball. Right? And you have to play out like that. So... Uh, like, obviously, Juranovic is very good at doing that on the right-hand side. Um, he made his debut at Ibrox on the left-hand side, and I don't think he's ever had a very good game there. Uh, but he's comfortable in the ball, so why was he not able to replicate what Taylor was doing? Obviously, he's, in, he's using a different foot being on that side. And why do you think why do you think Ange went for him over Bernabeu? I mean, it's not a crazy decision on, on the face of it, because you've got a very experienced... Fullback, uh, he's played a role before there. You know, you put Bernabe into there stuff. But be honest, JJ didn't have a good game, and he had that bad game at the time. So it was really crucial that he didn't. Because what kind of happens? Everybody's pointed to the like twenty six minutes fifty seconds. Joe Hart, um, you know, hits the ball off Morelos, and there's the period after that where JD's, JG's misplaced passes comes as well. Now, the first of them a few minutes after is just a big diagonal he misses. But the other ones is him once trying to use his left foot. And his other two bad passes in, in, in the first half is he's trying to use his right foot to go like wide left. Mm. So, so, so in the... One of them goes half for throwing, and the, the first one is intercepted. So it, it's simple as simple as the angle of his pass, because he's using your right foot to go left, where there's very little space there. So simply by having a left-footed player there, like Greg Taylor or Burnaby, obviously the angle is different. You, you can bend it around Tillman, who intercepted mm-hmm. a couple of times, and you know. So I think. <laughs> I mean, the game could have panned out differently. The ball might have not come to JD in those situations. He wouldn't have made those passes. That probably affects him a little bit. But it is a large degree because he's right-footed left back. I think he gets those a lot of those passes intercepted. And it didn't help. It didn't help Celtic getting riding out that storm that kind of came. And it, it went fine to half time anyway. But, it, it, you know, in hindsight, I think I would have put Place Bernabe in there. Now he's, he's didn't have a great game against Kilmarnock, 
But I also think JD and Burbank, they're so, even after six months, they're into the system now. So they, they, I think what's lacking with JJ and Bernabe is, is more the execution rather than knowing what to do and trying to do the right things, right? So <laughs> it didn't, it was just a bad fit at the wrong time, putting JJ, because mm-hmm. I think a left foot, a left back at that point wouldn't have made the same passing mistakes. Simply as that. So Alistair Johnson, he's been getting, uh, some people, are criticised them. Some people have praised them to the hill. Um, I haven't been able to watch the game back, and I didn't really notice them much watching it. Obviously, because of the kind of heat of the moment and stuff. I remember quite a few tackles and blocks and stuff that he was doing. Is it? For you, what do you think of him so far? Is it? Is it? Is he a case of not knowing the system yet, or is it a case of not having? The, the attributes needed for the system yet and can be trained into it, or do you think it's something else? Well, you know, What's your opinion said, of him, first of all? Like, what, what did you think of his two games so far? I think the main thing is, I of my 37 pages of notes, I got 10 of them on Anthony Johnson. Right? Anthony? Oh, geez, that's a Freudian slip. <laughs> I don't, don't forget with AJ or, or you know... You know uh, Alistair Rolston. I should really call him his right <laughs> name <laughs> as well. Um... I so he's the reason why I got so many notes on it, and I think yeah, I mean you jumping in my in my really well set up rundown here. So we'll talk to him a bit later, but it's probably a good point in terms of why didn't it work? Segways. I, I think the first three half there, the Rangers, two Rangers and Kamarnock. I think you see how pivotal the fullbacks are to that system, especially when you, you have a lot of focus on Calvary Gray in the build-up. I think on the left-hand side, JD's passing was off against Rangers. I think Bernabe's passing against uh, Kelly was off as well, with one notable exception. Alistair Johnson has his passing is very, very safe. And I think his performances, first of all, is understandable. Because this is his debut and <laughs> his first game in the European football, he gets thrown at that at Ibox. So you go, okay, so that's understandable. So the type of player he is, as you said, you said it before, he's, he's, he's a machine. And I think he's defensively very good, right? And I think you can kind of see him in a way, he's an MLS fullback, you know, because they are, it's a very physical league. There's an intensity there. He's got decent speed. He is, you know, tackles and duels. He's good, and and those I know. I'm, I'm not even being sarcastic. Those are good attributes, you know. You know, you still need to have them as a defender. So I think that part of his game is good. I think he's an upgrade. Even Anton Ralston is good in those things, but I think he's an upgrade on Ralston in those areas as well. But for me, he is. If, if you put to, you know, what kind of style does these Celtics fullbacks have? He's much closer to Anthony Ralston than Yusuf Iranovic. And I got really frustrated with him a lot of the time watching these games back. And it's, it's a frustration not because it, 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 that is with the caveat that he's just in the door and there is a system where he has to learn. 
But if you talked about why didn't those three halves work that well, a lot had to do with the fullbacks and a lot had to do with Anthony Johnson when you talk about the build-up. Because in possession, he... Oh, bloody hell. I'm just <laughs> going to call him Johnson now. Um, a lot had to do with Alistair Johnson. So, I mean, th- there's so many examples. It's 10 pages worth I've, I've given to you as well. But there's stuff like going all the way back to to Joe Hart uh, and CCB in the build-up, not taking those kind of chances. But the, the one player that got really, really frustrated with during the Rangers game, more than me, was Rio Hatati. Even after 10 minutes, he was, you can tell, to tell me, like, speed it up, speed it up. There's a throw-in after 10 minutes. It pretty much at the edge of Rangers' final third, and he's got three or four options. He throws the ball all the way back to CCB, who has to go all the way to Joe Hart, who has to go all the way back to Carl Starfield. But the main one was after, like, 24 minutes. If you want to look it up, 24 minutes, three seconds. Rio Tati makes a run from the center circle over to the right-hand side. That side is completely free. Alistair Johnson is in the center circle as well. I can see a couple of replays. You can see the space Rio Tati has to run into. If he slides the ball just past Kamara into Rio Tati's path, you have a you know, I think it's Lundstrom who's is struggling to get past it back to Hatta. You have a two against one with Forrest and Hatate versus uh, Barisic. You've got three players in the middle. Maeda, I think it's O'Reilly and Maeda, uh, and Kyogo all in the middle. Alistair Johnson go for a, a long ball up against an offside position, James Forrest. And you can see <laughs> offside score, just turning back to him and, and putting his arms up. It's like he's, he's raging. He hasn't got these balls. And I think that pattern happened with Johnson again and again. Like he gets the ball wide. He's a slightly more difficult pass into it, but Aaron Moore, Tati, who comes from that run, you have to bend it around, stops up, plays it back, stops up, plays it back. He's playing it safe, right? When he does try to go a little bit creative, he doesn't really hit, he hits it too long, it's a bit, he's hitting the channel, it's a bit, you know, it's not a very probable pass, he sends it out. So it, his control of the ball, his execution of his passing, wasn't great. That kind of slows up the play. He slows up the play as well. Again, I guess it's Kamarnik. It happens again, right? He is overly safe. He goes back. He doesn't see the passes there. He's not progressive enough. So if you're talking about take Cal Gregor out of the game in the build-up in the large part, you're so dependent on your left-hand side with, with Greg Taylor and Ria Hatati. AG doesn't have a good game because it's left back. Burnaby hasn't got a good game because he's, he just didn't have hit the passes. If you then on the right-hand side have Anthony Rasson or Alistair Johnson, who I, I, he's so, so safe. And I think the perception of Johnson after these games was that person lost of good tackles, good defensively, didn't make any mistakes on the ball. Not any obvious mistakes. So you got a solid debut. That's good. I think he's a large part of why this play didn't work because if all fullbacks is not working and Calumet Gregory's it's under close scrutiny a lot of Celtics build-up is taken away and is that not to say that's two games in I understand why he's more safe and there was definitely signs in the second half against Kilmarnock that you know he was coming across more he was doing a, a bit shorter faster passing you know it's at times slightly Greg Taylor light right okay Celtic had a lot more space in that second half 
you know, he's, you know, there's two nil up. You can do a bit more risks and stuff like that. So it's not that he's, this is, you know, a complete mismatch. And it's not that that performance and why he was so safe on the ball is, is it is understandable. And it's not that he, he couldn't develop into be more of a Greg Taylor than Anthony Ralston, really, in terms of fitting that role and making those roles and everything. But if you analyze the game, if you look at it, a big part of the reason why Celtics Biddle didn't work was because of Alistair Johnson's passing. Yeah, just say on your 10 pages of notes, you've headlined it, Anthony Johnson. Um, so. <laughs> but what, one thing I, I want so, to... Somebody, <laughs> I'm not going to name them, did call him the team, uh, Tim Horton, Anthony Ralston. So, you know, I promise oh. not to name that person, but I think... I believe you're, you're throwing Stephen, uh, Stephen Russell in the mud here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but one thing when I was thinking Sorry, about, <laughs> I was thinking about when you were uh, talking there was uh, when when we first uh, approached Ange and he was talking about I think it was his, his time in Australia, and he spoke about this this one day this one game where a centre back he was coaching did what he wanted them did what he'd been trying to get them to do for for games and games and they lost the game but he he, that, he said that that was a turning point he knew that they had the team on board. Alistair Johnson debut the, the the crowd the Ibrox are right on the pitch. He he must have been nervous. He must have been terrified of making mistakes. This is surely kind of understandable. I think it would be less understandable if he came in and played like Greg Taylor. That would be that would have been like what that would have been so shocking, especially coming from a, a team that didn't play that way. So yeah. for him to come in and play like he did is probably understandable and it's just about waiting for the next six, seven games to see if he starts to to, to yeah. shift. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, that is the word. It's an understandable performance. And it's not, it's safe performance. That's defensively, you know, you you can see his attributes because he is, especially for a right back, he's, he's fast, he's, he's strong, he's, you know, um, he is good you know, in those close duels. Um, absolutely. I mean, he, he should get close to rank and for, for, for the first goal. That's, that's another matter. But I, I guess for me, my little slight worry is having looked at him, you know, a bit before as well. It's not, I haven't seen those Greg Taylor attributes in him. I haven't seen him before either. But then again, and I think this place like Greg Taylor and, and Juranovic, who took to that system instantly and their skill set just matched it perfectly. But as I said, there the were tendencies already in the second half against Kilmarnock that, okay, he can do a bit more of that. And maybe because there was a bit more space, because we were 2-0 up, he relaxed into it. But he needs to keep doing that because see those first you know 135 minutes he had in those two games. You, you cannot pass that way in the Celtic team. You, you, as a fullback, especially in other teams, you can, but as a fullback in Celtic, you just cannot do it, especially when you don't have great talent left back, especially when you, if, if teams are going to crowd out Cal McGregor. You just can't do it. He, he needs to be able to complete that and process and, and like improve on that, which you can do. But mm. it doesn't take away from the fact that one of the major issues in those two games was his passing uh, play from, from, from right back. So, Taylor goes off uh, around about the 25th minute. And between that time and the 7th and 9th minute, we're basically dealing with this problem. We're dealing with Juranovic on the left-hand side. We're dealing with uh, Alistair Johnson and his uh, 
caution on the right hand side. And for that kind of period of the match, we are just not really. We're, we've got a lot of the ball. I think we end up with sixty percent possession, but we just don't seem to be able to get into the final third of Rangers. On the seventy ninth minute, Rangers make a sub. <laughs> How does this change things for us? I mean, you've jumped a lot here. By the way, I'm, I'm going to get to that, but I'm going to squeeze shoe on a, a few other things in as well. <laughs> I think, but also, like, there's a few things there, right? Rangers went again as under and Barkers. They go along so much, right? Rangers goalkeeper and centre back had 100 passes combined together, 28 of them alone. Al McGregor has 26 passes, 14 alone. Celtics goalkeeper and centre backs have 200 passes combined, nine alone. So they have less than a third of the long passes or twice the passes. Joe Hart has 34 passes, six along. So again, Rangers creates a game state, essentially chaos, you know. They, it, because Celtics press was actually really good when Rangers did try and play out. Rangers couldn't play out for that game. So, you know, Kyoga had a press that. Um, he was very aggressive, but because he had Maeda on his side, because O'Reilly was really pushed up and tight, because James Forrest did some good work as, as well. And that kind of Kyogo and O'Reilly kind of doing that backwards runs as well on to catch, you know, to, to cover Rangers defensive midfielders and so on worked well as well. That, that stuff that didn't really work that well in the Champions League at all. And we talked a lot about it worked well here. I think Rangers' tactic is to go along anyway, but they just couldn't get out. So, so that was good, and you, you saw a lot of good stuff from. I thought two defensive performances that were really underrated. Kyogo, he did really good job, and those passes did go long. You know, they're often uh, you know a duel, a header, and it bounces back. Kyogo two or three times, he runs back and he wins the ball, even though he's been up pressing, he runs all the way back. I thought Matt O'Reilly was also effective in that role. He's had a lot of interceptions. He's got a really good pressing interception just before uh, the first goal, for example. So all within those first 25 minutes. But it's a difficult match to do this because Rangers go long and long and long. And then, as you talked about the fullbacks, we talk about the centre-backs. I thought Starfield particularly tried to do things. It didn't execute them really well at wall. CCV is a bit more, a bit more safe. And he doesn't really, he doesn't have many passing mistakes, but he's a bit more safe. So all that together, together with Ben Davis having a couple of outrageous passes to kind of get Rangers up. I think that kind of did it. And the goal and stuff like that. Okay. We can maybe leave it because otherwise we'd be all night, but a lot of things happened. I think, as you say, Grant, up until, you know, you have that period after the second goal. I think Celtic comes more and more into it, but there's still a lack of, Execution in the passes. You got Moy coming on. He's, he's trying a bit, you know, more about direct passes, a bit longer. And you kind of give him kudos for trying them, but none of them really stick, right? And you got a lot of stuff like we talked about, Alistair Johnson, stuff like that. But let's turn attention to something a lot more fun: Michael Beal messing up, because that—that's what we're here to talk about, really. And and, and what essentially happens. With Rangers to Spock. So, so, do you remember at the start, they, I call it 2 1 3. So, you had the two front players, Kent in the middle, and three behind them. In the second half, you kind of see Sakala goes a bit wider at the start. So, Kent is kind of 
a bit more alongside Morales now. He's still keeping an eye on McGregor. And it's still it's still kind of working. You know, Durant actually come inwards a couple of times. He drifts away from Sakala because Sakala isn't really good at this. Tillman isn't that good either. So you have a couple of instances where you can play through them. What happens is when Lundstrom goes out, which is an understandable substitution because he's just blowing out of his arse after, uh, you know, at that point, you end up with more of a 2-4 block. So he puts, you know, both Kent and Tillman goes wide. So Kent kind of stops looking after McGregor a little bit at that point. And you can kind of see, and around the same time, a bit later, Gigi comes on, Hatati goes off. So, so you, now you often see McGregor and Aaron Moy receiving the ball quite easily in front of Rangers' midfield four. And, you know, you know, I've got a screen print from the 78 minutes. You know, nobody's picking up McGregor now. But then he takes Morelos off and he puts Scott Wright on. And then it's pure, uh, you know, two, four. he puts Tillman up on top instead of Morelos. And then Kent and Wright, you know, Wright is a, is a right winger. He just puts them wide. And what happens because Tillman is so bad in the press, Starfield can kind of just easily go past him. Again, McGregor's got a lot more time and space between in the middle of the pitch. And Moy has time in the middle of the pitch as well. And what happens is range just slowly, slowly, slowly gets lower and lower in, in, in the block. So, and at the same time, okay, what happens with Celtic is okay, you got two more, you got two midfielder now stationed in front of the Rangers midfield in the block, like McGregor and Moy. And you go, maybe the distance up to Kyogo and, and Gigi is, is a bit too long now because you don't really have enough rate anymore, anymore, two sixes and two strikers. But Kyogo does starts dropping in deep more and he starts receiving the ball and it's, it's really effective. And Moy and McGregor's got lots of space. Rangers gets like further and further behind. And then he makes his biggest mistake, right? He goes to Peel makes he takes off Tillman for Sands. And now he goes a pure one striker, five in midfield, four. And by putting Sands in there and not having another striker in the if you said in central middle of the pitch, McGregor and Moy just have so much space in the build-up. Because they just have this static line of five ranges have now. And there's just nothing there. So again and again, this, if you look at like from the, about, you know, a bit before that, but especially after Sands comes on in the 85th minute, there's two occasions where McGregor and Moyes just spaces to pick passes, you know, to bit more space. And uh, it, it just essentially makes it, it changes the shape of the block. It changes the people in the block and they fall lower and lower. And honestly, had he stuck with a 2 1 tree and just kept the midfield. Crowded and stay quite high up. I don't know if Celtic creates that last chance. And I think he bottles it, by the way. Not just, you know, had he put Sands and put him on top, follow McGregor, that would have been the But he puts one on top, Celtic can walk through it to get lots of space to pick passes. And for the goal, this is essentially what happens. There's so much space. McGregor finds Starfelt and he's got like, it's like he's praying Ross Cantu or something. He can just walk up and and what also, there's a very simple rotation that happens with that as well. So, because if you let Celtic in, okay, you can try and crowd out the penalty box, but you leave yourself open. And what the, what happens for the goal is that Josef Rianovic, for all that he didn't have a good game, he plays a key part in the equalizer because he goes inwards. 
and Scott Wright just falls him. But because the, the press is so static, it's so narrow, but Joram is just simply going inwards and placing himself in the middle of the pitch. When the ball goes from Starfelt, who's all along the left-hand side, out to Jota, Jota is one-on-one with Tavernier mm. with like 20 yards behind Tavernier. You can't do that to Jota because if you're playing a, a slow poke like James Tavernier, right that wide, Jota just goes past, goes past him. He finds Aaron Moy, you know, there's a blocked, um, you know, the block cross. And then what happens is essentially you have Celtics two strikers and their different instincts, I think, helps make this goal. Because you have, when the ball comes in, when Aaron Moy tries to, uh, actually when Aaron Moy receives the ball, Kyogo stands pretty much on, on the 18-yard line. Gigi's to the right of him. So he's on the edge of the six-yard box, away from the ball. Gigi's instinct is to go full pelt for the front post. That's what Gigi's about. Kyogo's instinct is to stand still. Like, he stands completely still. You know, I've showed you some screen prints. It's actually kind of shocking because the first one is like a yard into the box and well, everyone's quite close to him. The second, everyone's at the goal and he's still in the same spot. It's bending. It's like, I put the circle from about the 18-yard line into the six-yard box. At the first one, when Aramoy receives the ball, Ben Davis is like two yards for Aramoy goes down. Gigi goes post. Everybody's sucked into that. You see the difference in, I think it's three seconds later. Kyogo's just still standing. He's just standing still at the penalty box. Completely unmarked. Gigi comes in and he puts his Gigi, he runs against the first post. And that kind of creates confusion as well. Kyogo just stands there. And then the ball runs to him. It's in acres of space. So you have Gigi's movement and Kyogo's non-movement. Like the, the completely different instinct as strikers. It combines to make that because Gigi comes in, you know, he tries to shoot, it falls out, you know, to, to where Kyogo is. I'm sure Kyogo wanted the ball <laughs> on the first cross, but it is where he should be. And it's 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 that combination. But they, they're, allowed to, they, they're allowed to get into that position because Michael Bailey changes the shape and he changes the block and ranges to fall too low. And that's where they're... I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what I'm hearing you saying is four, four, fucking two. No, I'm not saying that. Uh, but okay. um, I haven't really liked it myself to go 4 for 2 at the end of games like this. But it did work because was, there was a big space between Kyle McGregor and Aaron Moy and the front line, which usually isn't great. But I think because Rangers changed their shape, it was easier for Moy and McGregor to move the ball up. Kyogo could drop in and that caused confusion because he got no players in the block. There was quite sure what's happening. And then Scott Wright, you know, simple movement in which from Juranovic, Scott Wright just falls him and he forgets about maybe he should maybe cover Tavernier instead when he's one-on-one against Jota. And that's what happened. So, but it created, I think Beal's mistakes created the environment for that, for, for Celtics player to to show the qualities. Jota won against one, you know, Gigi's kind of front-run instinct, you know, um, like a racing horse with, you know, those kind of blinking something, you blink or something, uh, and then Kyoga just, yeah, I'm just going to stand there where everybody runs against first against the first post. I'm just going to stand there. And there you go. What, why do you think he, he shot it in such a in such a way? I mean, because it wasn't something we really seen under the the Gerard and Beal 
partnership. I mean, they never really gave up on what they were doing in a game. They just they never threw everything back and sat back. And, and this is the guy who literally wrote the blog on how to set up with 10 men, you know, in those kind of situations. And it was all about don't go too low. Keep two strikers on top and occupy the other ones because if you get too low, this is going to happen. So I, I think I think he just panicked and said, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a defensive midfielder on or a centre back at defensive midfield, and you know that's going to just shore up this win." But would that kind of just played into Celtic's hands? So yeah, he shattered, and that's that's great. Just say we we win this semi final, hopefully, and Rangers win their semi final, hopefully not. What do you think is going to be the the kind of starting the starting pistol tactical battle in in the final. What will it just be a recreation of this, or do you think it will be something different? I, I don't see how Beal does it differently with the players he has, because you have a set of players that are not great in the press. Like he's, you know, players like we talked about on the preview, like Tillman, Sakala, a great Lundstrom's got limited stamina and stuff of. Davies, he might be a little bit better on the ball than Bassey, but he doesn't have Bassey's intensity. So I think it's limited what he can do. I think Celtic, so this is a poor game from Celtic, but it's, it's a lot to do with execution. Because when they do, and they do the right things, they, they do create chances. And I, I think it is key. I think they're going to do like Kento McGregor again. I think the fullbacks need to be, you know, be part of that build up. Uh, you know, if it's Taylor and Johnston, um, you know, the number eights, I, I thought were pretty good, actually. You know, they did a lot of work, but just have to keep the tune. I, I don't think you, the Celtic team, when they click, they're so difficult. They didn't click on this game, but they still, you give them, the Camaro game was the same. Give them a little bit of a chance. You, you break that defensive block that's working a little bit for seconds. They keep doing what they keep doing, even if it's not happening for them. So happens there as well, you know. That's that happens right against the Kilmarnock as well, and that's it, it's it's a really difficult Celtics a really difficult team to play against because they're relentless. Yes, but they're relentless in doing the same things. So if you slack off, they're gonna catch you out. Hmm. Um, so I, I think it'd be roughly the same. I can't see Beal doing much else. I don't seem he has the resources doing much else. And I think Celtics surely needs to have a, a, a better game on the ball than they had here. So, I mean, that takes us on. Uh, I mean, I think Derek McInnes must have been looking at this and thinking, hey, this is my idea, man-marking uh, Callum McGregor. And he goes back to the well. I mean, you've got the kind of uh, position map that you sent me. It's it's essentially a 5-3-1-1, the one behind the striker being, uh, is it Robinson, you said, or Robertson? It doesn't matter. I think yeah. it's Robertson. So, yeah. Sitting essentially right on top of McGregor uh, and... Again, they can have just man marked the other two midfielders as well. What did you? So I think a few people I think it was mentioned in the agenda with Kieran talking about maybe the worst performance under Ange in that first half. Um, I don't know well, about that, but it was pretty. I think we were expecting more. I mean, the, the shot stats and stuff are really interesting, right? Because overall, if you look at the XG, four point two six for Celtic. That's the third highest. XG in the league this season has just done United away and Johnson at home. 0.06 XG conceded. That's the second lowest this season. Aberdeen away was the lowest. So it's the second, uh, purely on XG, it's the second highest XG difference this year in the league. 
So all that is really good. <laughs> As I said, there's two shots in the first 44 minutes. 0.08 xG. Then you have two right at the end of the half. You know, huge chances, 0.96. But even after halftime, like from halftime to the 79th minute, you got nine shots, which is decent. But 0.69 xG for that. So although you end the game on 4.26 xG, you go into the 8th year minutes, 8th year, 80th? Can't even say 80th. 80th minutes on 1.03 xG. All right. So you have, in the last 10 minutes, you had 12 shots, 2.59 xG. So there's definitely something going on in the first half here. Like you had, overall, you have 13 shots the first 79 minutes. You had 12 shots after that. And what you saw a lot was also extremely focused on the left-hand side in this game. Celtic are a left-hand and the focus, we talked about that for a year, but Burnaby, 150 passes. I think it was, was McGregor was one of the home games he had, you know, something like 180 passes, right? Or maybe it was actually an Aberdeen away game, which was was the most passes I've ever seen on Instagram for a single Celtic player. This is the second most, 150 passes from Alexander Burnaby. But the reason was they actually make uh, it two. I know, <laughs> but an instant also you can look at instant you can you can split the pitch into three like vertically so the left hand side the center and the right you know one third each overall Celtic had 54% of the destination of those passes ended up on the left hand side and in the middle third of the pitch it was 56% in the middle third of the pitch only 15% of the Celtic passes, open play passes, ended up on the right-hand side. It was hugely down the left-hand side. And again, like, okay, Killy just what Killy does. You know, they, you know, uh, I don't think I sent you this, but this this pass map from the goalkeeper, Walker, all the passes are into the opposition half, except for two, a missed clearance and his missed punch uh, <laughs> in the second half as well. But what they do, as I say, you've seen this a lot now. You've seen it from Aberdeen. You've seen it from St. Johnston. You've seen it from St. Mirren. It's set up in, kind of seems like a, from the front, a 2-3-5 block. Um, so a 5-3-2 the other way, I guess. But what McGuinness does for Kimarnock, you, you kind of like look at compared to that what, what Jim Goodwood did at Aberdeen. But what he does, he does three things quite differently. One is that the two front players, okay, one is the striker, but the other player like Ryan Kent sits on McGregor the whole time. And again, you get the benefit from having another player in the middle and you have the discipline of saying to that striker or attacking midfielder, you stay in McGregor. What does does? It means he stays in the middle the whole time and he's given a role and he's more disciplined. The block, Kamara's block, where they put the ball, it's not as low as Aberdeen's. Like, so they actually push the forward line up, a uh, back line up a little bit. So they compress space between the lines. So it's not, it's more like a medium block. It's not too low, but also what you have, it's very little space between the defensive line, the midfield line, and essentially two lines at the top, one sitting on McGregor, one sitting on just a striker. What they also do, that's different than Aberdeen, because Aberdeen just sat with a flat back five, you know, on the 18 yard line. One of the center backs, and it's usually the right hand side one, right, jumps up, into the midfield line when he needs to do it. 
on the also thing to do. I mean, I was shocked. But while McGregor is man marked, this Killy Block actually do quite well sonally. So when 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 the Celtics fullbacks go into the pitch, right, it's he's kind of handed off. So the winger would, you know, the wide player would hand him off to another one. And they managed to handle those kind of Celtics rotation of changing places. They didn't just fold them blindly around. They did that quite well. And what else, what it kind of led to is like with the center back jumping up to, to stop Celtic getting more players, they were overloading the central areas. So, for example, what often happened because Celtic was so focused down the left hand side, it's like, it's like Cal Style failed, bring the ball out, right? At some points, both Burnaby and Johnston inverted and they went into the middle of the pitch. So you had the attacking midfielder McGregor, you had this the kind of the middle of the tree on Moy. But then Alistair Johnston would come in. But the rain uh, the, <laughs> the killing number eight would pick him up. And Burnaby would come in. And the other Kamarok number eight on the right hand side of midfield would pick up Burnaby. And you go, oh, well, this is great because Hatati is free. You know, you got two number eights on the fullbacks, you know, the midfielder Moy. You know, Hatate is free here. But what to do really well every time this happened on the left hand side, and it was either if the right number eight and Kamarnik's right number eight, you know, the right sided midfielder, if he would pick up Bernabe, the centre back would jump up on Hatate. And if the right sided midfielder was on Hatate and Bernabe came in, the centre back would jump up. So that block, it was quite clever in how they set up with somebody on McGregor. You keep one more person in the, in, in the middle, you crowd out that space. But when Celtic tried to make that overload, like that two against one, you know, you know, beside the right midfielder, because obviously Mayeda is pinning the you know the wing back out, the centre back would jump up. That's not an easy thing to do. The is that Aberdeen the first time a, a, a team in Scotland's tried to do that zonal zonal marking? I, I, I think in a way, well, it's, 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 it's a bit of man marking. It's more of a hybrid in terms of mm. zonal. But what they what those teams kind of do is like they have their centre back, you know, not the middle centre back, but the one beside it. It's often more about if somebody comes into his area, that's fine. But it's more about protecting the winger space because you know the left back and the left winger might be out, be out there. But the centre back here, right, he jumped up time and time again to stop Hatate or Bernabe receive the ball in space in that half space, and he did really well. And that's not an easy thing to do. But it is essentially, as soon as that kind of Celtic tried to have one more player on that side, he jumped up. Because essentially, that centre-back is a free man if you play a tree. But you have the other perfection of him jumping in as well. So, so, yeah, Celtic struggled. But it was a really good defensive setup. You know, I have to give McGinnis credit for it. And, and the, the players in the execution of it. And, and they did that even when the ball kind of fell into the penalty area because they had they used that third centre-back kind of as a free player, they kind of stopped Celtic from overloading those situations. So it was effective. The other thing they did is that in those kind of systems, see if Celtic play down the left-hand side, the right winger, you know, like Jota in this case, he, he'll, stay, he'll stay really wide. And often you have, the, the in this case, the left wing-back on the other side from when the ball is, you know, kind of being close to him. He wants to be close to him. You want to give him space. If you look at some of that, I don't know if I sent you the screenshots, but the left, even when the ball was on 
Kelly's right hand side. The left wing back was in the middle of the pitch, right? So not only are they compressing the space between the lines, between the forwards and midfield and defense, they were making it really narrow, right? But pushing that center and giving Jock a half the pitch, yeah. But you have to have to do a really big switch quickly to do that. Celtic weren't good enough to switch quickly enough because I think that's some of the kind of cost of credit. But time and time again, Kelly was able to crowd out the middle of the pitch by pushing that center back out, by bringing, when you're bringing the left wing back into the middle, you don't need another, you know, this one of the center backs to cover that, they can cover in. Something was just crowded out. It's just like a couple of screenshots where you can have like 10, 12 players within a space of like 10 by 10 yards because Celtic just couldn't play through it. And some of the issues, again, was Bernabeu's passing was off. On the other side, Johnston was, I think, a bit overly safe again. Um, Aaron Moy tried a couple of passes, but again, he's... <laughs> It's very one-footed. It wasn't the kind of game, the space where he excels. Because the Aaron expels excels when there's lots of space around him and also when he can maybe be right at the edge of the penalty box. But this time, he, he just couldn't do either, right? So there was a lot of... Celtic didn't do great, but the set-off from Kamarnock didn't help either. And he, you bring in Magari's man marking, you get another person in the, in the middle of the pitch. Again, crowd out the middle of the pitch but also have that flexibility in the system that you you can be a bit more sonal. So if the, you know, if the right back, uh, left back comes in, okay, so there's somebody else taking, you know, I don't have to follow him and so on. So it's surprising that McInnes came up with something so sophisticated against us. I mean, in a way, it isn't sophisticated. It's just, it's just, you know, Goodwin. I, I mean, compared to Goodwin, it's a lot better tactical setup than what Tim Goodwin did. Right, it is a lot better, and it, it has evolved a little bit. But I think people have. I maybe it's not more difficult than people watching that Samaritan game. It's like, how do we beat Celtic this year? Okay, you, you line up in a five-three-two, and then you do, you know, the middle tree needs to be very narrow, compact. But what Samaritan? I think I think Kelly even did this better than what Samaritan did. Is use that free centre back you'll have to jump up, and compress the space. Use of one of the U2 strikers just to sit on McGregor because uh, it's a lot more effective. Now, again, as we said, with Rangers, Celtic keep doing the same thing. And this is a difficult thing to do because as soon as you, you're not even switch off, as soon as you're not right on top of it, Celtic will punish you. And that's what happens with the goal. So essentially, what on the goal, the, the ball's on the right hand side, it goes around the left. And the only thing that really happens is that Celtic doesn't move over quickly enough. So the midfield tree isn't quite compact enough. There's, you know, there's one on either side of the center circle and the back five isn't as close, you know, so the left uh, wing back is, is out on the left hand side. So they're more spread out. So they haven't been able to crowd out the middle. And what Celtic does, and this shows the importance of like repeating the principles of the season in, in, in your poor periods as well. And the portion of a fullback that knows the system and recognizes those situations as like the classic Ange Paul player is. Because that's what it is. Bernabe inverts and Maeda in his position now where he can take a run at the fullback. And it's a classic Ange Paul. And Bernabe execute that pass perfectly. That's not an easy pass. It's a pass they want to do. But you need a lot of skill and a confidence to make that pass. But hits the half space. We wanted Maeda 
you give him one sniff of that run and that pass and he'll take it. And Kelly doesn't make huge mistakes in that, but it's a small mistake. Because Celtic keeps doing the things they're doing, keeps doing the things they're doing, even when the, the play's not going well. And because Bernabe has the, the technique and the skill and the confidence to do it, even though he's had a poor game, and he knows that drill, because he's been there six months already, it happens, it's 1-0, and that's really game over. Like Kelly's done so well. I mean, they restricted Celtic, Celtic to two shots at home, 0.08 XG over pretty much a whole half. It's probably the best defensive performance against Celtic the whole season so far domestically. And I, cl- I include Rangers in that um, because Kelly's obviously doesn't care about winning the game. But one, not even a mistake, is slightly imprecise, boom, a poor Celtic team or a Celtic team that's poor has punished you. And it's, you know, then you go out in the second half and it kind of happens, you know, it's more of a counter-attack, but then it's the second half, they're just all over the place. And okay, they kind of hold it apart a little bit to kind of stop, you know, I think Celtic said had nine shots uh, up until the, up until that point, in like the 80th minutes, but still like so much more space. And, you know, Celtic just have the space to do it, they're not able to recreate that block, and it's you know, the last ten minutes is just to go cause havoc. But it, it's, it's, a really, it's, it's a really good defensive performance by Kamarnik. But even a team like Kamarnik, who does it so well, slight mistake mm. because Celtic keeps doing what they're doing, they punish him. Okay, worries me a wee bit about going to Rugby Park, especially on a plastic pitch. If they are that, that well drilled, it could be quite a tight game away from it, home. It would be slightly different than Rugby Park. So I, I just, they were a lot more man marked. At Rugby Park, and yeah. they allowed Celtic centre halves to just walk all the way up. Right, they didn't do that now, so it, it, that was a much better performance defensively by by Kilmarnock by far. So, I mean, what causes the the levy to break? Because obviously, the the there's about a thirty second period. That I've seen the clip where you could put Ben Hill music over it, and uh, it wouldn't be out of place. The amount of chances we missed in that thirty that, that's probably what made up most of that XG. Um, the levy breaks, and I was looking on Twitter, and it was apparently because Jackie Marcus came on. Is that is that true? That's true. Yeah, okay. That that is true. Yeah. Moving, so. moving on. <laughs> um, it's 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 true because there's lost more space. Mm. That that that's it. You know, it's that happens, and then like DG's DG has come on at the point of a game when this often happens, and he's. he's you know, it's, it's been very effective, but that means you get still a lot of you get still a lot of chances, you know. So, um, in terms of, I don't think he even had this on uh, the agenda agenda here, uh, Graham. But in terms of, you know, Gigi is always going through that spell where he's he's not scoring much, but his XG and goals pretty much line up across the season in terms of he was that. outperforming, wasn't he? Well, it's, it's not anymore. I think he's got it's like about six point nine xG, and he's got six goals, right, non penalty ones in in the league. So it's, it's pretty much spot on. But I think the kind of game state he comes into at the end, it is usually a lot more open. The person who is overperforming his xG by far is is the non clinical finisher of of Kyogo Faraji. So who's got at the moment's got ten point eight xG, and he's got fifteen goals in the league, right? So. Kyogo's overperforming now. So, so I wouldn't be surprised unless he massively increases his XG that his scoring like scoring rate actually drifts a bit off because he's 
he, he was kind of on, on par with it for now, but the last few games he's just kind of exploded in terms of just scoring goals, and his goals have overtaken his xG. So uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he he stops scoring a little bit, unless, as I said, his xG goes massively up. But his goal is outperforming his xG. He's, he's scoring a lot more goals than quote unquote he he should be doing from the amount of chances he's had in the league. Let's stay on stats and let's stay yes. on men from Japan. Um, yes. there's, there's obviously a bit of controversy on Celtic Twitter a few days ago. We've joked yes. about it in some previous podcasts, but wait, I want to talk seriously about it. I don't want to get, we're not going to get personal about anyone involved. I don't know the people. I don't, <laughs> really, I don't really know what that uh, platform is at all, uh, really. So we'll not be talking about that, but I do want to, you, you, you kind of like, what you wanted to kind of speak about tonight was essentially misusing stats and maybe maybe taking stats that are not considering things like game state and not considering basically taking stats that are maybe not the best way to judge a certain player. Yeah, we had a question on this as well. Um, Mr. Gallagher has, has not added the name of the person who sent us in. So I'm sorry, anonymous uh, WhatsApp messenger. Uh, he spelled by an A with a K, but I promised to spell it with a C afterwards. So that's absolutely fine. Uh, just don't call me Chris. So don't do that. Uh, which you didn't. Um, but especially got the question saying, can, you know, can the, the review do a section on Hatate? The stuff about him not being at the level came from a stats based pod. So we get to see what, uh, Christian and co think you are the co. There, Graham. Um, well, I mean, it didn't, didn't misspell my name. So. <laughs> So, but yeah, I kind of just didn't want to have that. Is Hatate good? Is it good enough discussion? Right? Because okay, there's probably a lot of stats I can I can bring up. I had a I had a good look at all the kind of different stats as well. And uh, Hatate isn't no matter which provider you use or so on or, or what stats you look at. It's it's, it's not far off any of the Celtic midfielders at all. So there's not like a huge gap there in in, in any way. Um, and I think, as you say, yeah, that there's a lot to do with the game state. Like players like Moy and Turnbull comes into it's the the role in the midfield. Okay, I, I know nominally Tati is a number eight, just like Turnbull and Moy and O'Reilly. But I, if you look at any sort of pass map, sort of that, he is a lot more involved across the pitch and so on. But for someone who loves that, who I do. I, I love stats. It was a case of just, you know, just watch the games. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's where it kind of comes to in terms of judging a player or making a conclusion on a player based purely on his stats. Right? It is ridiculous. Okay. So, but so I think the, the detour I'm, I'm, I guess I'm intending to take here is that, you know, the limitation of making big conclusions on stats. So, First of all, you need to start with kind of the different types of stats. People say stats, stats are great, stats are terrible. But first of all, you have to understand the different stats, type of stats. You have to understand the different, and I say understand, and this is something I, I, I'm trying to learn all the time. It's not, I'm like, I know the, you know, the, the truth or the facts about this because it's all very changing as well. But you have to try and understand the limitations of them and the limitations of the different stats and what they actually tell you and what you can rely most on. So for me, we've talked about this in pods with you, with, with Gal as well. For me, I've done seven years now, 
ever since Matt Ryan started to do try to do XG based on the text commentary on the BBC ones, right? Seven years ago now, Matt introduced his setups and you know, all the, all the OG crew. I've been involved with the last stats in football for seven years. And I kind of gone on, almost said I was going on a journey there. But mm-hmm. I, I think my, the more I worked with stats, the one thing that comes back to me is the limitations of stats. And that, in essence, you should have a kind of low hate relationship with stats as well. You, you kind of have to get the experience of what they're good for and what they're not good for and be able to, a lot more because I've watched a lot more from a tactical point of view since the cynic went full time. We actually had to start watching, you know, analyze the game as well. And doing so much more analysis over the last two, three years, watching, re-watching games and so on, has brought so much more context into that. So when I come and say I I I I think Hatate is a Celtic's best player, it's not one specific stat I can point to that's saying, oh, hey, here's the evidence. It's because I've watched every game two times. And I just I, I think I can argue for and see why he's so why why he's so good why he goes well why why is so important to the system and we talk it's a hundred different examples we talked about what he do well so I think that's the first thing but and such what can you use stats for to, to start it what shouldn't you use them so what I think my my favorite stats is one of the best things is team performance overall. You know, so essentially it's as simple as what, what are you trying to achieve in football? You're trying to achieve wins. How do you get wins? You get goals. How do you get goals? You create XG, you create chances. And the same, what are you trying to prevent? You're trying to prevent losses. So you're trying to prevent to concede goals. So you're trying to prevent XG against. Like, so all stats, all actions on the football pitch for me leads to those two stats, XG created and XG conceded. Because if you increase XG and you decrease uh, XG conceded, you make scoring goals and preventing goals more likely, which means wins are more likely. So that's the best qualitative measure we have in terms of how good is a team performing in terms of stats. I think that's the best one you have. And then Stephen Russell, like somebody who's a lot smarter than me, goes in and takes that XG and does lots of fancy stuff about it and spits out an expected points, which kind of strips away a lot of the noise in, in XG as well, because it takes into account, you know, XG for single chances and so on. And he puts lots of fancy stuff into there. So something like XG and XP expected points. For me, the quote unquote best stat in terms of if you want to judge the performance, but you're judging the performance of a whole team. And I think that all the actions of all the players together brings out this XG and this XG consume. I, I think that's the main thing. Now, I think stats are good for other things as well as a recruitment tool. And that maybe sounds counterintuitive as says you shouldn't judge a player by stats while you're using it in scouting. Because if you know how to use it, it's a really good filter. If you want to go out and search the world for a really good you know, player that might suit, how are you going to do that? You can't watch a video analysis of 10,000 players. What you can do is within 10 seconds have a, you know, you run stats on 10,000 players. And if you're clear on what you're looking for and you're clear on what the stats are telling you, I think that's a really good first filtering tool and it gives you a sense check of what the player are and it gives you a base to kind of go and do more video analysis and kind of, you know, if you have limited resourcing analysis and scouting, use data to kind of, you know, hone in on those resources. What it also tells you a lot about stats is the team and player style, which I think is an underrated part of the stats. You know, talk about who's the best. 
quote unquote best. It's just gold in terms of style. Stats can tell you a lot about the style of a player and the style of the team they're playing, which can be actually, I think, is underrated, especially in recruitment, in terms of what kind of player you want. But I, I, so that's kind of stats I like. The, the stats I don't like, <laughs> you know, is using trying to use stats as a sole and direct kind of assessment of a player. I think there's so so many pitfalls. And there's so much noise and so little signal in there in terms of when you do that. And even more so for certain positions. Like a midfielder is a good one, right? Okay, an attacker is, is easier because the main thing is to get to XG. And you know, expect an assist if you have an attacking midfielder. How, how much are they creating? How many chances are they getting to? That's at a big bearing on all wins and, and goals and so on. But anything further back than that, it gets difficult because what you're looking at. And then we no, we've got a huge detour here, Graham. So stop me if you like. But see, a lot of people say, oh, look at possession value models. And we talked, we had a whole pod on possession value models in, in Lost in the Half Space as well. But you can, can yeah. t- tell why we don't do that part anymore. <laughs> yeah, because it's tree on me. It's the memory. But so, but uh, my thing with possession value models is saying you start assuming that something is good or bad further down the pitch. So a backwards pass from the middle of the pitch down 20 yards, that it might be bad. But it's there's so much noise in those kind of models that uh, yeah, I think it's def- so difficult to judge the contribution. Like a context? Like, yeah, the context, you know, because you can play two backwards passes. Okay, not is that decreasing your likelihood of a pass? But maybe in that sort of situation, if you play a backward pass that player has a really good opportunity to play a better forward pass after that stuff. So five, 10 years down the line with huge amount of tracking data and all that stuff, we'll, we'll be able to just maybe, but at this point, I think even less so is in terms of taking, you know, tackles and deceptions and so on, because, you know, it's all those kind of stats. I, I remember I had a podcast once with, um, I can't believe I'm saying this, Johnny McFarlane. I'm sure you know Johnny by, by now, you know, uh, prominent uh, Rangers writer. He used to have a, a podcast when he worked at a record called Fitbacks. And he, he would have, you know, different people from the industry would come on and talk. I was on the same episode, not at the same time as our friends in 2.1, what they were called. Oh. <laughs> being called. Uh, but he, he was, you had to also on because, you know, I talked a lot about stats and he said, oh, I love stats because you can have a discussion in the pub and everything. And then somebody brings the stats up and that's, you know, that's the conclusion. So, and I was like, no, like, that, that, that's not how you use stats. Stats are not a conversation. I said this line before. Stats are not a conver- conversation stopper. Do you have a discussion? Here you go. Oh, here comes in an envelope test answer. Boom. Stats says that. It's stats are a conversation starter. See, see, that, see that meme of the, the guy shouting into the girl's ear in the nightclub? I can imagine you saying that to the girl in the nightclub. You've done my following. <laughs> but, but that's, and so you talk about, okay, so, so the whole thing of this, the clip from that podcast was, okay, Rio Tate is not putting up the same numbers as David Turnbull. So, you know, actually everybody's wrong about Rio Tate because the numbers are not as good, quote unquote, the numbers. And there's so much context missed in that and so on. But in a way, it's interesting that David Turnbull's stats are so, are good. And are better than Rio Tatsis. You know, Aaron Moyes got better stats than Rio Tatsis. So, maybe Matt O'Reilly has. So, but that's an interesting starting point to, to, to your further analysis. So, why is that? Why is the reasons behind that? And so on. Because you don't also want, don't want to come into a trap where you say, okay, I think Rio Tatsis is better than David Turnbull. So, it suits me well to say, ah, 
see those stats as saying David Turnbull is as bad as Destiny. I can just ignore them because I've been watching it. Like, you should take those seriously and go, what's the reason for that? One of the reasons is because David Turnbull is a really good player. Right. But I mean, if it's, it's, it's a good footballer. Aaron Roy is a good footballer. Matt O'Reilly is an excellent footballer. And, but what it comes back to is like, watch the games as well. Mm. You have to add that context of watching and review. If, uh, not saying this as normal fans have to do this and not everybody who comes on the podcast has to do it. But if you want to make a bombastic, um, conclusion based on stats, I think like that's just bad analysis. Cause if you yeah. want to try and make that kind of analysis, analysis of that you have to bring in watching the games and again and again and trying to see the patterns see what to do off the ball it might not be caught by the stats some of the stats are not lying but yeah there's so much noise in stats and you have to know where to how to use them and what i think that book is trying to do is try to make a conclusion or a statement based solely on 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 stats where they usually ask conversation stopper almost like oh will tell us what Tati is doing better than Turnbull. Then. It's like, so much the then it's, but simple answer is, well, watch the games then. And I can, I can yeah. walk you through why I think it because we, we've done it on every podcast and I try to explain like the runs, the movements, the passes, what he does, what, what he sees, how he, how he interacts with, you know, I was, you know, it's a bit you know, shady and I put up a trade I did with Greg Taylor and Rio Tati from the St. Johnson game last season because that's perfect example of, you know, some, some, one of them is not even near the ball at times. But the way they create space just by running, and you can hundreds of examples. So, I mean, as as my friend Grant says, just watch the games in it. You know, just watch the games. And I know that's a very seen as a kind of like a da thing to to say. But I think the other thing is that it's, yeah. it's not as well though, because when you think about when you think about a sport like the NFL, is one of the most kind of advanced when it comes to to stats. The thing they always talk about when it comes to the draft is watching tape. That's they, they talk about it constantly. It's not just about looking at stats. It's, it's stats. It's watching tape, and it's about that combination. Any other way would be just lazy. It's, it's a combination, and it's like you, you have to be open to stats. You have to have be open to stats challenging your opinion. Mm. But I think you, you can't base your opinions just on this. That is just bad data analysis. That that's what this comes back to. But trying to claim this is, is an issue. Hatati's not putting up some of the same numbers as Turnbull, O'Reilly, and Moy. That is one thing. It is bad analysis. And if you want to do that sort of player analysis, but you have to base it on video analysis. So it has to be a big part of it. Because once you get away from XG and stuff like that, there's so much noise. Mm. So I think it's just a case of it's it's bad analysis. It's, it's bad use of stats. I, I'm going to I'm going to end by using a wrestling analogy because uh, Gal is not here, but I think he'd be okay. proud. Uh, yes, it's, it comes back to games day as well. It's like it's like a wrestling match going on for twenty minutes and then subbing out the wrestler and putting someone in for the pin. And that's a lot of time. That's what David Turnbull's minutes are. It's about coming on in the last 10, 15 minutes. Aaron Moy's the same. Jackie Marcus is the same to, to a certain extent as well. They're coming on a kind of advantage because the other team have been. That Kamalik game, the Kamalik were out in their feet by the time that those players yeah, come on. It, but having players like that who can come in and put up great numbers in that game state, it's good. Aye. <laughs> you know, it's. But it's comparing it's, apples and oranges when you can t- consider what the other ones have gone through. But that's what I talk about conversation starter. Okay. Don't just dismiss stats as, as pointless because they show David Turnbull is better than. Or it doesn't show that, but. Turnbull over Hatati and people go, oh, that's, that's a terrible 
Now, it's just a ter- terrible use of stats, but it's an interesting stat. And you can go, so why is that? Well, one, David Turnbull is really good. He's really good around the penalty error. Sometimes he gets on in games where that game set really suits him. But he's, I mean, David Turnbull is a good footballer. I don't think he's as good as fit into this system because a lot of things, I think his quickness on the ball, his, his capability for runs and stuff doesn't mean in a Celtic team. I mean, if you look at a lot of Celtic players, they will have roughly the same type of stats because the player for Celtic in the same position. Mm. So I think you have to dig a little bit deeper in that. So it comes back to the simple fact that it's, it's you know, don't blame the stats, blame the people using the stats. We have gone over over time. Uh, I'm going to blame it in Claire because she never gave us a five minute yes. warning. Um, she usually gives us. I mean, so, we, I know she gave us half an hour, hour, hour and fifteen minutes, but I didn't give a five minute warning. No, so I mean that's that's, that's on you, Claire. So, unprofessional uh, yeah. producing, I would I would say. Yeah. Um, so this has been your review. We'll be back next week to talk over the cup semi final. Hopefully, marching on into the final. Christian, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a pleasure speaking to you, Graham. After a break, I'm out to find my Canadian flag that I'm going to bring to, to Hampton Park. Oh, nice. Lovely. So that's that's yeah. I'm for, for Anthony Johnson. Anthony Johnson. My pal, Anthony Johnson. I've been your host, Graham McKay, and we will catch you down the road.